0: The focus of our discussion today will be a new book by Professor uh, Ian Talbot, and the book is called uh, The History of British Diplomacy in Pakistan and it has just come out and looks at the uh, the the long and 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 extremely important history of this subject uh, we will have professor Ian Talbot talking to us about the book and we will also have uh, professor Muhammad Vaseem from the Lahore University of Management Sciences and ambassador William Milam uh from uh, from California who will be join us joining us the ambassador uh, Milam has been ambassador to Pakistan to Bangladesh uh, uh, Professor Vasim has been a scholar of Pakistan's foreign policy for a long time. And Professor Talbot, of course, has been a scholar uh, of Pakistan and South Asia in general uh, in many, many ways. So we we, 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 we hope to have a, have a really interesting conversation, which is already global by virtue of where all of my guests are located. So at one end, of the planet. We have uh, Ambassador Milam joining us from Sacramento, California. Uh, on the other end of the planet, nearly sort of if, if you cut a hole through one, you might get out on the other. In Lahore, Pakistan, we have uh, Professor Muhammad Basim. I join you from Boston. And Ian Talbert joins us from, from Southampton in the United Kingdom. So this is already a global conversation. And global is important because British diplomacy in Pakistan uh, is 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 not just about Britain and Pakistan maybe, but has implications historically and otherwise on certainly the region and elsewhere. It is also a subject that has been uh, of some attention again in the last week as as both Britain and Pakistan and the rest of the world try to grapple about, uh, about what to do with COVID. Uh, you suddenly realize that like everything else, uh, a pandemic is a matter of diplomacy it is a matter of diplomacy in the rules you apply to who comes in who doesn't and so on and so forth and that as 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 you would note has been a subject of much conversation uh, in recent weeks between britain and uh, between the united kingdom and pakistan so so that may may also come up but let me let me not let me not bore you with more of myself uh, let me let me ask professor talbot to take us on the journey that we are all eager to hear more about professor
1: Thank you very much, and uh, thank you to the Mittel Institute for organising this this webinar. Um, What I'm going to do initially is you just say a little bit about uh, the scope of the book, uh, and then I'm going to pick out some of the themes uh, that run through it uh, that um, may well uh, spark conversation and questions uh, as well from the audience. So this is the first study Uh, of uh, the history of British diplomacy uh, in Pakistan. Uh, Looking at the High Commission, although for a time, of course, it it functioned as an embassy when Pakistan uh, left the the Commonwealth uh, under Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto's decision. Um, It's about not just the headquarters uh, of the High Commission, which was uh, in Karachi to start with, but then of course moved uh, temporarily to Ralpindi before settling finally in Islamabad. Uh, but it's also about the so-called outposts. These are the, uh, the deputy high commissions uh, in the Peshawar, uh, Ralpindi, Lahore, and of course in Dhaka uh, up until 1971. And certainly no one has written about um, the role of these uh, institutions before Although historians have used the appreciation reports uh, produced by these um, outposts in writing and constructing narratives uh, of, of Pakistan's history. And indeed, it was quite interesting when I came to research this, uh, this subject uh, to come across again uh, some of the reports which I'd used in a very different context when I was writing the history of Pakistan. but. This time round, I wasn't so much concerned with um, constructing a narrative from these reports, but seeing the way in which they've been compiled uh, and how they were produced uh, and how they were reported back to um, Karachi or Islamabad and then forwarded to London uh, and the impact which they may have had on uh, the policymaking process uh, that was going on in London. So... These are the sort of uh, areas of institutional uh, activity that I'm looking at, reporting, um, public diplomacy, uh, economic diplomacy, uh, that uh, are all functions uh, of of, uh, a resident uh, diplomatic mission. And as I say, I I start this off uh, in 1947 and really take it up into... um, the, the so-called War on Terror, uh, and uh, cover those seven decades, really, of, of British diplomatic activity uh, in, in Pakistan. And in some respects, of course, this institutional history mirrors the history uh, of Pakistan itself, uh, in that um, the early High Commission, uh, establishing a very ad hoc basis uh, in Wood Street, in the center of Karachi, in the aftermath of uh, partition. Uh, then, of course, there's the temporary move uh, of the High Commission uh, to Ralpindi, uh, which in the 1960s is very much reflective uh, of the uh, move of power to the military uh, in, in Pakistan. And then, of course, uh, finally, the early 21st century uh, High Commission existing very much in a security bubble uh, within the diplomatic enclave uh, in Islamabad. And you can just see by looking at these different um, sort of physical spaces uh, in in which the High Commission operated, changes within Pakistan's uh, domestic politics. But of course, the diplomacy uh, that was being carried out in the High Commission and in the outpost was also occurring in a very changing environment uh, internationally, in terms of South Asia, uh, initially the Cold War, then later, of course, the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan and all the fallout from that. And then finally, as I've said in in the closing chapter, uh, the the war on terror. Pakistan itself has changed uh, in these years. And of course, Britain has also changed in this period of time uh, as well and the medium through which diplomacy could be carried out the rise of so called digital diplomacy uh, in the 21st century is another changing context uh, for looking uh, at uh, british diplomatic activity so that's really the scope uh, of the uh, the book uh, some of the themes which i pick up uh, in the book uh, Firstly, I make the argument that despite Britain's um, decline in global power uh, since 1947, it has continued uh, to play a significant role uh, within Pakistan itself. So one of the questions that I set myself was to try and explain how Britain was able to use the cliche um, punch above its weight uh, in terms of its diplomatic influence uh, in Pakistan, and, and what could explain this. And, and there are a number of factors, of course, which could explain this soft power, uh, the role of um, English language, of uh, the British Council, uh, even of the BBC. All of these things uh, play a part uh, in uh, Britain's soft power Uh, influence uh, in in Pakistan, but I also raise uh, two other issues. One is the targeting, particularly in the recent years, of relatively limited aid, uh, certainly in relation to what the United States can provide, but targeting this. And and Britain has certainly targeted aid in areas like education, uh, gender empowerment. These are particular uh, emphases which... um, the uh, High Commission has uh, picked up in, in recent times. But the other um, element, I think, which is important w- and which runs throughout uh, the uh, the volume is what has been the l- colonial legacy and how has this perhaps, um, in some respects, got in the way of British influence, but in other ways forwarded British influence uh, in, in Pakistan. Uh, and, um, in a sense, is this sort of uh, historical tie and embedded knowledge and understanding of Pakistan uh, been a factor in sh- trying to explain how Britain has been able to punch above its weight diplomatically in the country. Uh, and I look at this in terms of uh, both the, um, the experience of old India hands uh, in uh, diplomacy in Pakistan in the early years. Um, For example, the first uh, deputy uh, high commissioner based in Dhaka, uh, Leonard Coke Wallace, uh, had first been posted to Bengal in 1924. Uh, So he has a wealth of experience uh, in in that region. Many of the um, deputy high commissioners based in um, Peshawar, Lahore, Uh, Ralpindi also could draw on uh, years of experience Um, of course um, there isn't necessarily an institutional memory but nonetheless uh, I think there are these connections uh, and understandings which Britain has which perhaps other countries haven't uh, got that uh, same background uh, in in terms of coming to terms with Pakistan society and I argue throughout the volume that um, personal connections, personal diplomacy is actually very important uh, in the Pakistan context, uh, in that um, Pakistan society runs very much uh, on uh, lines of uh, a small military political elite, uh, and one in which personal connections are actually very important in getting things done. Uh, And that uh, if you're going to be successful diplomatically, you've got to be able to access uh, these connections. And Britain may well have had uh, some advantages uh, from this. And this carries on indeed this interest in Pakistan um, society that uh, individual high commissioners have, and even historical connections, almost down to the contemporary period. In the 1990s, uh, Nicholas Barrington, a long-standing high commissioner, um, was so uh, interested in, in Pakistan society that he, he d- developed genealogical charts of leading land-owning families uh, in, in Pakistan. And obviously, we go forward a, a little bit from his time. Uh, Mark Lyle Grant, of course, uh, had family connections. Uh, his great great uncle was the founder of Lylepool, Faisalabad. Uh, in, in Pakistan. So you can see that, that there are these, still these connections uh, that, um, that Britain is able perhaps to deploy uh, as a result of this colonial past. But I said earlier, of course, that there are also maybe drawbacks uh, as well as advantages. And one of these drawbacks, of course, is that Britain has um, often disappointed Pakistan in its sort of um, tightrope balancing act between Pakistan and India, particularly vis-à-vis the Kashmir issue. Uh, and, and the attempts at being uh, even-handed have sometimes, I think, disappointed uh, people within Pakistan who were looking for more from Britain. So there is also uh, some drawbacks as well as uh, advantages coming out of this uh, colonial history. If we move forward, um, I think the final um, theme which runs through this book uh, which I'm going to mention very briefly uh, is uh, that Britain has obviously been a junior partner of the United States really since the mid-1950s but that Britain has worked quite closely um, with uh, the United States to further uh, interest within uh, Pakistan. They haven't always the two countries seen eye to eye. Uh, They've sometimes had different strategies, different uh emphases but there has been quite a close uh working relationship and what the book brings out really is is um how this operated at the grassroots level of field diplomacy uh in pakistan there's often written about the special relationship uh, and the role of prime ministers and presidents and summary but uh, there are examples in this book of how uh, at the level of the um Headquarters, uh, High Commission, American Embassy, but even out in the outposts, uh, people have tended to, uh, Americans and, and Britons have tended to to work, sometimes to reinforce diplomatic messages or, or to share information. And that that's been quite an important feature, I think, uh, of British diplomacy in Pakistan. I could say a lot more, but I think probably now is the time to um, stop. But I hope I've given some kind of uh, flavour of
0: what this book
1: uh,
0: is about. (coughs) uh apologies for that uh thank you very much thank you very much uh i want to move to professor vassim shortly and there are already some very interesting comments coming in but uh professor if i can if i can push through or ask you just one question uh that might help the comments we receive from our discussions what surprised you in this research what, what did you it, find that you were not expecting to i i wasn't uh expecting
1: i think when i started off uh that uh, that Britain would still have the degree of influence uh, that uh, it it has in in Pakistan. I mean, if you look at Britain's position in other parts of the former colonial world, there's often a very different story uh, of resentment, of animosity and and of limited influence. Uh, I think uh, what comes across, uh, you know, in terms of the Pakistan case is that actually, this colonial past could be uh, an asset in terms of contemporary relationships, not necessarily to drag those relationships down, but they often have done in other contexts.
0: Thank you. That is a very interesting observation, and I'll take that to Professor Waseem, but I will also highlight a comment we already got from uh, Ambassador Simmons, who was ambassador to Pakistan, who points out, that uh, he says, isn't it also true that Pakistan felt and feel that they were liberated from the threat of Hindu dominance in the free India rather than from Britain. And that might actually impact what you just said about, about the relationship with Britain uh, in some ways, I think Malverton was able to deflect that sort of colonial legacy quite well. And I'm not sure whether the subcontinent benefited or otherwise from this, but this is a very interesting observation both from you and from Ambassador Simmons that at least for Pakistan, uh, the story of independence is not simply a story of independence from British rule. It gets much more complicated because of uh, of partition and how history uh, then got got formed but that that is my view let me go to someone whose views are much more legitimate than mine professor masim
2: uh, hello uh, i must rush through um because of the limited time uh uh i've three major perspectives uh on the book uh and before that i must say that more than a history of diplomacy. Uh, frankly, what I found in the book was history through diplomacy. Here was diplomatic activity, but actually, I was looking at history from a particular perspective, of course, which was Ian Talbot's research, and there it is. But basically, what I got enlightened was actually the history itself, but it was activated through diplomacy. My takeaway, for example, about a diplomacy and foreign policy overlapping with each other was excellent. Here it is that there were individual uh, high commissioners in uh, Karachi and in Delhi. Karachi um, uh, uh, High Commissioner Gravity Smith, for example, was overly pro-India, pro-Pakistan, and, of course, Ambassador, the High Commissioner over uh, there in Delhi was similarly inclined towards um, uh, India. That leads to an interesting observation. Here, you live in an atmosphere where you read papers, where you watch TV, where whatever goes on all around you, that actually has an impact on you. And you become, while you are the ambassador of your country, also, to some extent, ambassador of your surroundings. And that was an, an interesting uh, takeaway, I must say. And of course, I'll say that there are some other kinds of diplomacy, which I came to know by the word, for example, like economic diplomacy, because of the fact that there were a British commercial interests, particularly in East Pakistan, but also in Karachi. And of course, uh, some kind of uh, military diplomacy in the sense, at least negatively speaking, that government of Pakistan tried to stop uh, uh, one uh, U.S. military diplomat, let's say, Reid, who was constantly visiting GHQ. uh, That was not very much liked. And of course, there is the grassroots diplomacy, the term used by my friend, uh, where, of course, you issue visas, and by way of trade, you tend to cultivate uh, uh, relations. And interestingly, diaspora diplomacy. Quite a few Pakistanis living in England, they do have a kind of an impact, at least at the constituency level, from where then the elected representatives would operate as a lobby. And uh, he has picked up, for example, uh, the biradari basis of the vote pattern uh, in certain areas of concentration of Pakistanis, uh, the vote blocking. So th- th- there, there it is. Uh, digital demo- uh, uh, diplomacy. Very nice, he has already mentioned it. And of course, in the book I did it. Uh, the, the, the profile of a blogging high commissioner. Uh, and in fact, he has used the word, naked diplomat, only armed with one um, uh, mobile phone, <laughs> which, is, which is again interesting. And there is a kind of a profile diplomacy as well. Of course, in, in Pakistan, for example, the, the British diplomats sometimes feel obliged to, 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 to answer or at least uh, to deal with questions about like Islamophobia in England and so on. So uh, keeping that aside, I like to uh, pick up a bit on the relations or communication or partnership or otherwise between the UK and US embassies. How were these two sets of diplomats in Pakistan uh, interact with each other? And there I found some very um, interesting remarks. For example, uh, I felt, and he rightly Pointed it out. That there was the incoming imperialism, and there was the outgoing imperialism, and the two met, and they had their own uh, uh, um, preferences, of course, and priorities. And uh, again, UK. I hope it's not very ethnocentric on his part, but the uh, the way he described it, the UK diplomats would be cool and level-headed. Ambassador Milam is sitting here (coughs) and he says that the uh, U.S. diplomats were, well, a bit proactive, let's say. And that was, in a way, a a kind of a difference of uh, um, uh, profile, let's say. In the perspective of Kashmir, Washington tried to, in a way, restrain the British policy of internationalization of the issue. But overall, what happened over the decades, let's say, that UK had a South Asian perspective on Pakistan, whereas United States looked at it in the overall Cold War perspective, and there it set its priorities, for example, vis-a-vis Indian um, friendship treaty with the Soviet Union at that time, and so on, and that would set, in a way, the pattern of Washington's friendship with Islamabad, and particularly in the perspective of the 1971 war, here was a dichotomous pattern emerging. The UK's tilt towards India, and uh, Washington, uh, the United States tilt towards Pakistan. Uh, Nixon was very much for Yahya at that time, and here the two attitudes in a way collided, uh, and uh, Ian also talked about uh, diplomacy at the desk, how diplomats in a way judged and pruned and distilled information in uh, Islamabad, and only then they would send it to London, whereas the Americans tended to, what he uses the word, uh, fire off information, whatever there was, straight away to Washington, and finally, Uh, I would like to talk about, for example, uh, Pakistani politics. Through a diplomatic eye, I feel uh, he has picked up, the author has picked up that particular uh, perspective. For example, uh, here was a country, he describes, uh, which was punching diplomatically above its weight. Very interesting. Even today, probably somebody will be writing about it. Uh, East Bengal, here was rigging which took place at that time in the early 1950s. That actually has set the pattern for the coming 70 years that has been happening all around. Uh, Rigged election is at the very heart of the um, politics of Pakistan. And of course, uh, I picked up again the kind of a dichotomy between the traditionalist and modernists. Here was the traditionalist aspect, for example, Kajum Khan, a chief minister of uh, KP, uh, say, talking about the obscurantist mullah, who is taking us to the darkness of the medieval times. And there is other, uh, on the other side, the modernist, the state manager, who was trying to steer the, uh, the way to the other side. Military government, here comes the coup d'etat, 1958. Amazingly, it was much foretold two or three uh, times it had been talked a few months before the coup and two days before the coup, whatever. And uh, what is very intriguing here, I find a kind of a Huntingtonian paradigm uh, because the British ambassador likes a youth government, probably the best government from partition. Because it has brought stability, that is, that, uh, is to be noted. Uh, at that time, this was the 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 the, the popular uh, framework of thought about the third world, particularly Pakistan. And finally, I would point out a little about the Queen's visit, nineteen sixty sixty one. Here, there were thrilled crowds. I was wondering, uh, was it a colonial hangover? At that time, uh, uh, imagine today's Pakistan. It's full of anti-Western feelings. And uh, would there be crowds again? Would there be out there? Would there be chanting Elizabeth Zindabad, as he has mentioned in his book, amazing. So these were a few observations of mine. I hope I haven't gone beyond my um, uh, fixed time. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much. There's a lot, lot in there and a lot to unpack. I will move directly to um, Ambassador um, Milam. Ambassador, it, it is not a surprise how often the United States has come into this conversation about British diplomacy in Pakistan. Uh, Professor Talbot calls um, the, the United Kingdom a junior partner to the U.S. Uh, Professor Vasim talks about an incoming and an outgoing imperialism. Uh, and and much of our already comments are on that. How do you see uh, the book and its lessons, including the conversation we've had thus far?
3: Well, thank you, thank you for having me, and thank you to uh, uh, everybody who's watching. Um, i uh, you know I think I guess I'm here because of the partnership that, whether no matter who was junior uh, between the U.S. and uh, uh, U.S. diplomats in Pakistan and British diplomats in Pakistan. I must say that uh, uh, quite often I felt like the junior partner. So uh, I, I'm i not sure that uh, Ian was correct that in that respect, always, but he's mostly correct, uh, uh, I think, simply because uh, for a long time we had we were doing more in terms of aid, but different kinds of aid, I think, as a matter of fact, one of the things I would have uh, argued is that uh, I thought, well, when I was in Pakistan, I might add, there was no aid program, so it's hard for me to judge, but uh, I've been in Pakistan many times since I was there, uh, and uh, I think our aid programs are have steered the wrong way, whereas I more ad- admire the British programs, but that's neither here nor there in this kind of conversation. Um, let me say uh, the first thing that caught me about uh, the book, and Ian mentioned it at the end of his uh, uh, talk, was uh, the uh, uh, use of pers- need for personal diplomacy in, in South Asia. I, I learned this actually in Bangladesh, which, uh, where I was before, uh, four or five years earlier than I was in Pakistan. And I learned also. I learned it from my British counterpart, actually, who was very well wired in. And um, I realized, I I came to realize uh, that you needed to really use personal diplomacy there, where I had served in countries before that where it didn't seem quite so necessary. In any case, um, uh, I, I will mention. I think somebody we've already heard from, my predecessor in Pakistan was Tom Simon. And he, the only briefing I got on the way to Islamabad uh, was one day in London when he and I spent the day talking. And his, he not only emphasized the idea of personal, uh, personal diplomacy as being uh, the key to success, He also emphasized that I I should get to know the chief of army staff better than anybody else in Pakistan. And uh, I did. And and that was uh, quite a a good advice. I I will thank Tom publicly right now for giving it to me. Um, The chief of army staff, uh, Kiramat, uh, was fired about three days after I arrived in Pakistan because he had said something down in Lahore that uh, 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 the prime minister didn't like. Um, and so uh, I, I think I don't even think I had called on him yet. Before, and when he, uh, but when he got fired, and but I did call on him anyway after he got fired, and we had a, we we got to be good friends. But I made a point because that was. Uh, uh, as soon as uh, General Musharraf was appointed as chief, I, I made it a point to get to uh, know him. And so when uh, a year or so later, he became what they called chief executive at the time, um, I had an extremely good relationship with, with the chief executive, too. So, so personal diplomacy was a very important part of of what I've learned, and I learned it basically in Dhaka, not in Islamabad, but I practice it more in Islamabad. Although um, I I don't want to talk about Bangladesh, but I I had arrived there just as they were pushing uh, General Irshad out. And I got to know a number of the uh, leaders of the opposition, uh, because they were at that point, quite friendly to the United States and seeking me out all the time, as was Ershad by the way. Um, uh, so the, the, I'll, I'll emphasize I'll talk about one more thing which is something that I, I can't talk about very academically but um, the, the uh, Ian mentioned several times and it's been mentioned elsewhere the uh, legacy of colonialism there are a lot of bad like uh, things coming from colonialism I, I know that but I thought the British had a bit, had an advantage uh when I was in South Asia both in Bangladesh and Pakistan in the sense that they seem to have been there so much longer and to have uh, known uh, so much more than we did that uh, that is why I think the there there was between me and my counterparts, my British counterparts, and among most of my predecessors and successors and their British counterparts, a very productive and uh, quite often, I think, very useful uh, partnership. Uh, I, particularly with Hillary Sinnott, who gets a lot of mention in your book, Ian, uh, I had a very close relationship and found him to be an extremely good friend. The friendship continued after we had both left Pakistan, I might add. But um, anyway, that's about all I have to say at the beginning. Uh, I think I will turn it over to people who can speak uh, a little bit more substantively than I can.
0: Before we open up and we have wonderful comments here uh, that I do want to get to and questions, but uh, Professor Talbert, any any reactions from uh, to what you just heard? I
1: think um, a couple of points really I want to pick up on. Uh, Firstly, um, from, I think that one of the hangovers of partition for the British was this difference of opinion in government circles uh, that goes back to the colonial period. Uh, Those who tended to be pro-Pakistan had been pro-Muslim League uh, in their attitudes uh, before 1947, particularly on the military side, but it wasn't just on the military side. And, and those who were obviously more pro-India uh, had connections. And, and here we talk about Atli in the immediate uh, sort of aftermath of, of, of partition with Congress. So that there was almost a continuation uh, of, of this sort of Congress Muslim League uh, sort of uh, attitudes uh, into government circles and and this was a a factor i think in uh, the responses when the kashmir issue emerged so quickly uh, immediately after uh, independence uh, and that continuation of course uh, it is uh, something which i suppose never got out of hand because um certainly uh, britain and i'm not sure whether the united states did this and uh, perhaps Ambassador Milam would, would be able to, to, to inform us more. But there were a lot of people who moved in their careers between um, the High Commission in, in New Delhi and the High Commission in Karachi or Islamabad. And there always seemed to be uh, a career pattern, you know, where people served on both sides of, of the, uh, the border, which, of course, was very useful uh, at times of crisis uh, because they had connections in both countries, and also I think it it prevented them becoming overly partisan in in terms of uh, their uh, support for either India or or Pakistan. And and I think that that was very much a feature after this um, early uh, post-independence sort of division, uh, really, in in outlook. Uh, But I don't know whether the United States did have this sort of uh, policy of and uh, moving people between India and Pakistan.
0: Maybe if I can get to some of the, the, the comments, uh, uh, Professor uh, Talbot, because one of them is very much related to what you just said. And and it is, it is about sort of your discussion of the advice given to Pakistan by British uh, High Commissioner di- diplomats. Uh, right before uh, 1971 and 1970, and the uh, breakup of Pakistan and what is the creation of what is now Bangladesh, and uh, so so something about that. But the real question within that that is also being asked by uh, Stephen Wilkinson there is that was the fact that so many of the UK diplomats were former colonial officials helpful or not? In providing accurate assessments, either in advice to Pakistan or an assessment of what was happening in Pakistan?
1: I, th- I think to go to that last point, obviously there are pros and cons here. Um, the depth of knowledge uh, the, and connections that these people were able to bring uh, was very different to that of any other country in the immediate uh, post independence period. Uh, so that that was an advantage but obviously uh, in a way of course people from that colonial period took their uh, mindsets uh, with them uh, into the post-colonial period uh, and and that that in itself could be a distorting factor so on the one hand they have these these sort of embedded knowledge uh, of the country which is quite unique but on the other hand this may have been produced within a particular frame as I, and that, as I've already said, there were certainly those people who um, had a very much a pro-Muslim League, pro-Pakistan view uh, that they took after uh, independence, uh, which obviously uh, impacted the way in which they would report uh, on events, perhaps relating to the Indo-Pakistan uh sort of contest, particularly over Kashmir. So there, there, there are these sort of um, downsides as well as upsides. But I think uh, what really struck me, uh, because uh, I think Adil asked me at the beginning, what was it that um, when I was embarked on this research I wasn't expecting? And it was this continuation uh, after independence uh, of, of these connections and of people who had served uh, in, the subcontinent uh, in the colonial era, continuing afterwards. And of course, this was mirrored in 1947-48 in other ways as well, because the first governors of key provinces in Pakistan, the governors of Punjab, governor of the frontier, as it was then called, were Britons. Um, Many of the high-ranking positions in the military uh, were held uh, by by Britons down into almost the mid-1950s. Uh, and and there is this sort of almost transition, long transition, uh, which which is going on. Of course, Pakistan had to do this because it didn't necessarily have the experienced personnel that was able to uh, to take over immediately after independence. So there were, there was this sort of hangover, uh, really, uh, of, of uh, the partition and colonial period, and, I, and that the the extent to which this existed did surprise me.
2: Uh,
0: Professor Racine or Ambassador Milam, any reactions to uh, either of those questions or what, what Professor Talbot was saying?
3: Well, if I, I was going to react to something that uh, you, uh, you asked about, or, uh, or maybe it was Ian who raised it, uh, people moving between posts. Uh, that was, we had a, 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 a whole cadre of, of what I would call South Asian s- specialists uh, and I, which I sort of broke into from outside, uh, but um, uh, for, uh, there were quite a number of people in, the, in this uh, who served in both India, Pakistan, and some uh, and other South Asian countries in the Foreign Service when I was in it. Um, and, uh, and one of my prede- sec- one of my successors who I think Ian spoke to a lot uh, was Nancy Powell who I believe served in every South Asian country that there is. Uh, I'm not sure about Sri Lanka, but she was posted at one time or another in almost in every other uh, South Asian country. So uh, there, and there were others uh, who were of the same. I think the uh, same like that, like Howie Schaefer, who uh, was ambassador in Bangladesh uh, prior to my prior to me. So yeah, we had our uh, cadre of of South Asian specialists who were probably not, uh, didn't have uh, the depth of knowledge that particularly at the beginning uh, that, your, uh, that the British would have had because of their uh, uh, colonial heritage. But um, these, uh, I, and I suspect, although I haven't talked to them, uh, that they probably took the same lessons from the British that I took. And I learned them actually mostly in Bangladesh and not in Pakistan. The, uh, the uh, value of personal diplomacy, for example, um, and other things about how to conduct yourself and how to uh, get information that you needed and to report it. Uh, by the way, speaking of reporting, the one thing I took issue with, uh, and it was not you, Ian, who said it. You were quoting somebody early in the in the. Uh, uh in the book about somebody in the 40s or 50s i guess who kept who said the americans just fired off telegrams believe me they did not all (laughs) telegrams have to most telegrams except for the sort of administrative ones have to go through several series of uh of people who check to see that they should go and that they they, the and that they're well done and so forth so I took issue with that, but other than that, I thought the book was rather, rather good. And uh, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad I played a little teeny bit of role in it. Um, uh, the other thing I want to say, and this really gets back to something Ian said earlier about Pakistan changing, but you know, as I have gone along and followed Pakistan, uh, the one thing that's uh, dawned on me, and uh, really with great force now, I've come to believe it more and more, is that Pakistan in fundamentally never changes. And uh, I don't believe it. I'm not sure it ever will. And that's because, and I, I, I will give you the illustration of not too long ago, a, few, a couple of months ago, I was, I was listening in a situation like this, a Zoom event. Uh, to a, a discussion of Pakistani politics, the what the parties are doing and so forth, and I it just kept I just kept thinking, well, wait a minute, what difference does this make? It's the army that's going to call the shots, and so you know that's something you you learn probably from being in Pakistan. But uh, anyway, I I I think that Pakistan has changed in some ways, but that fundamental has not changed. So that, I don't know, I probably didn't answer your question, Adil, but I have uh, answered
0: my own. You, you've, also, you've also raised a number of others and I I, I do want to get to some um, other ones that have come up, but it seems I've, I wanted to give you the floor. Any quick reactions to, to where the conversation is before we move to a very interesting question that's been raised, which I, I am also seeking an answer to. Uh, uh,
2: something about, uh, American diplomats being assertive. From that, I picked up that there was a diplomacy uh, in, a, in, a, in a new country, so to say. For America, Latin America would have been the backyard, the traditional sort of uh, uh, pay field. But here, uh, particularly not India, but Pakistan, that was something new. So from 1948 onwards, actually, Governor General and the Prime Minister had been trying to connect with Washington Mm -hmm. in the perspective of the overall insecurity that was felt here. But uh, there was a kind of a lackluster response from Washington till something happened in Iran and uh, there was a crisis. And of course, uh, Washington started looking for uh, somebody else some other country in the, in the region where they can uh, uh, come in let's say because india was in a way non-obliging because of its policy of non-alignment and there then finally the door was open so what i'm saying here is that the british were in a way structurally present here and continue to be whereas uh, the the the, uh, the American diplomacy was more functional. Here it was, they, here the need uh, arose, there was some vacuum and they filled in. And whenever that uh, there was no need, for example, straight after 1965 or later on in certain times, there was a withdrawal of a kind. Americans uh, were not so much interested till Soviet Union would come, for example, in 1979. Or there was a, a 9/11. So what I'm saying is that the Americans would come in mm-hmm. uh, to to do something. The the the, the British were there uh, by fiat, let's say. Yep. Yeah. Thank thank you for that. I
0: a comment and then, then a question that's been raised, um, Professor Talbot, and the, the, the comment simply is because you mentioned and uh, Professor Waseem mentioned sort of the changing face of diplomacy, new technologies, personalized te- diplomacy, and sort of diplomacy by blogs and de- diplomacy by Twitter. I had mentioned the current sort of little uh, 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 storm, if you will, whether in a teacup or not, that is going on about sort of Britain uh, putting uh, restrictions on British uh, nationals flying in from Pakistan and, uh, and on Pakistan, but not on other countries. And when anyone from Pakistan says other countries, they mean India, uh, despite the same same profile. But the comment I wanted to make was: it was interesting that the British ambassador comes on Twitter to make that announcement. And to make it with, you know, all due apology and, 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 and sort of speaks directly. Uh, to to people in Pakistan and those who might have been uh, planning those flights, rather than through usual means of communiques and announcements or even going to the foreign office, etc. So that that I think sort of in many ways uh, validates what you are saying and what we are seeing in diplomacy, not just between Britain and Pakistan, but everywhere. But the question I wanted to raise, which has been raised uh, and is a very important one, is we've talked a lot about the U.S. as one would expect, certainly about the United Kingdom. The country that hasn't come up, but is the other one big in this playing field as China. Uh, so uh, do you have any thoughts on that, either historically or at the current point? In in, in sort of especially this current situation where junior-senior partners has become a different sort of game with the rise of this, this power that has had historically very close relations with Pakistan and continues to have very deep uh, it ties with Pakistan.
1: I think um, as far as China is concerned, one of the points which comes out really is that um, Pakistan's whole foreign policy is Indocentric. And really the interest uh, in China becomes much more significant after the 1962 war between uh, India uh, and China. And that begins this relationship, which is cliched, called an all-weather sort of uh, friendship relationship between uh, China and Pakistan. And in a sense, I suppose it reflects the fact that at various moments of time, both uh, the United States and the UK has been seen uh, to have let Pakistan down. They may not have done in reality, but that is the perception uh, within Pakistan. Whereas China is seen Uh, as a country which has always stood by um, Pakistan. And obviously, uh, there's that long history. And then, of course, the rise of uh, Chinese economic uh, power and its ambitions in in, uh, the last decade or so uh, have, I think, sort of fed into this sort of longstanding uh, sort of uh, possibility that, that China could be um, a future uh, ally against India, uh, as far as Pakistan is concerned, because Pakistan is always looking to sort of equalize itself with India, you know, and the United States has uh support militarily as, has been one factor in that in the long term. China could be another factor, though perhaps equalizing Pakistan more economically, uh, than than militarily, and, and obviously. Pakistan's geostrategic position, you know, does make it important uh, for uh, China's sort of uh,
0: is, is ambitions. There, would, you, would you say, going back to the question, is there any UK-China diplomacy that is impacted in Islamabad? Uh, not of the nature of sort of Kissinger going through through Pakistan to 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 Beijing, but but is is Islamabad a venue for any? UK-China relations, or not really? I don't. I mean, obviously, at the moment,
1: uh, the situation is is very much been dominated by what's happening in Hong Kong, and that's something which has always been there, actually, uh, in British diplomatic attitudes uh, towards China. And it's the Hong Kong uh, issue, uh, which is really, perhaps, along with the pandemic, um, soured relations as far as. Britain and and China uh, are concerned. Pakistan, of course, has sometimes played a route for Western powers to China. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about this shift of the United States, this tilt of the United States towards Pakistan in the 1971 context. You know, and and the Nixon administration, as far as I understand it, uh, was very much Pro Yahya at that time, despite the reports which were coming out uh, from Dakar, particularly uh, about um, sort of uh, atrocities that were being carried out there, because of the fact that uh, Nixon and Kissinger had been using um, sort of Pakistan as a route to connect with China in the context of the Sino Soviet split so uh, I, I think that, that that element you know is, is always there that that China uh, is, is a both um, a friend against India for Pakistan it's also I think uh, there in terms of uh, this wider sort of geostrategic uh, position uh, that, that that Pakistan plays which are, some historians and analysts have said, has been to the detriment of Pakistan. But the connectivity could also, in the long run, be to Pakistan's advantage. Uh, But um, obviously, China is going to be an important player in that context.
0: As we come to the end of our time, if you allow me, two very quick rapid-fire questions, and maybe just a line or two of answer on each. And I'll go through each one of you, if you allow me. Uh, Starting with you, uh, Vaseem Saab, if you might, First, if you look towards the future, as Professor Talbot does towards the end of the book, what would you see as the most important challenge or opportunity in UK-Pakistan relations, or diplomacy, UK-Pakistan diplomacy?
2: Well, it's in the larger context of acceptability of Pakistan as a legitimate player on the international stage, There's a feeling here in Pakistan and probably abroad that there is a kind of an isolation uh, within the region. And uh, when we go out to Europe there, that feeling is sometimes uh, present. Uh, Now, what will happen after Brexit? Are we going to deal with European Union as a whole, um, including uh, Britain? Uh, uh, of course, they are now two separate entities, but still, uh, yeah, there is a kind of a special relationship, particularly in the context of the uh, emigre uh, uh, population over there. Diaspora, um, almost a million more. So there is a special concern, and we still depend quite a lot, educationally, media-wise, and historically, uh, particularly in terms of laws, and of course, uh, uh, in terms of the judiciary, its activities, and all that, it is a post-colonial state, and that binds us very closely uh, with United Kingdom. That doesn't mean uh, operationally all the time, but there is a structural presence of England within Pakistan. Yes.
0: Uh, Ambassador Miller, uh, whether junior partner or equal partner, how do you see any role for um, UK-Pakistan diplomacy in how the region is is, is moving from an American perspective? You know, there's, we, As we speak, the Russian foreign minister is visiting Pakistan. As we speak, there seems to be sort of a pushback from the U- U.S., to cut sort of Pakistan to size, or maybe ask it to nudge away from China. Uh, So there's a lot happening in that region, the rise of China, the Belt and Road, Afghanistan, uh, India is always there. As you see all of this, what do you see as future challenges, opportunities?
3: Well, I think the challenge is going to be uh, related to China, uh, which uh, prompts me to say that, uh, that in the la- in the post uh, in the last 20 years, I think the role of China has uh, changed uh, quite a lot in South Asia and in Pakistan. Uh, uh, it's funny I don't re- you know we didn't in my time, which was only 20 years ago, uh, China didn't seem to be uh, come up very often. Yes, it was a steady friend of Pakistan, yes. And it was a moderating influence. Uh, for example, when Nawaz Sharif flew off to uh, China for uh, to see if he could get some help on in uh, with the Cargill situation, the Chinese uh, turned, told him to go back and, and make peace with India. Uh, as far as uh, I think that's uh, I think that's a correct uh, view. I I remember believing it then. Uh, but China has now become much more aggressive uh, and uh, much, uh, I think, probably much closer to Pakistan than it was closer, in, a, in an emotional sense. Because uh, while the Chinese were there and there was always this sort of very steady uh, friendship, well, we didn't think much about China back in those days. At least I didn't. Um, so, I but I what getting back. Getting to the UK, I think the UK can play a because they have the same uh, the same kind of deep relationship impact deep relationship with Pakistan, and ours has been too bumpy. I think to uh, to uh, uh, the I think the UK could play a uh, a role in some of the issues that are really uh, affecting uh, and uh, worrying the US, even. Even Afghanistan, they uh, they could it could be they could be helpful, but it, particularly with India, it strikes me that uh, where the U.S. is either uh, too pro-Indian or too or not pro-Indian enough, uh, and uh, so we don't seem to be able to help much with trying to move, trying to bring those two countries together uh, in some sort of understanding uh, that would reduce tensions between them and I'm uh, running out of time so I'll stop there but thank
0: you thank you we are indeed running out of time but last word to uh Professor Talbot what do you see having having done this research what is the big question before UK Pakistan diplomacy in the in the coming future I think that
1: um, the big issue really for post-Brexit Britain is how it balances uh, its interest in India and in Pakistan. Uh, I think there's a big push on at the moment uh, towards India and the Indo-Pacific, and that uh, will inevitably impact on relations uh, with Pakistan. And in a way, I think it's exaggerating. uh, This tightrope, which I mentioned earlier, uh, which has always been there in terms of how does Britain, uh, with its commitments to both India and Pakistan as Commonwealth countries uh, with this colonial uh, background, how does it balance uh, its its interests for India and, and Pakistan? And I think that that will be the big issue uh, going forward as far as uh, relations are, are concerned. And also, uh, to one final point, the diaspora, uh, there's this large Pakistani diaspora in the UK, which is very influential. Uh, how would this diaspora react uh, if uh, Britain moved very closely, tilting towards India? What would be the implications for for the diaspora?
0: Never a dull moment in any diplomacy in Pakistan or maybe anywhere. diplomacy is always a balancing act and and good words to end on that this is going to remain a balancing act both for Pakistan and for the UK. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Talbot, for writing the book. Thank you very much for letting us discuss the book. Thank you very much to Ambassador Milam and Professor Rasim for joining us and for Professor Talbot to spend time with all of us. And most of all, thank you to all who have been listening or might be seeing the recording. Have a wonderful day, and may all diplomacy reach diplomatic solutions always. (laughs) Hear, hear. (laughs) Thank Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.